Scripture this evening is found on page 1152 in the uh, Blue Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. Page 1152, 1 Corinthians 11, 17 to 34. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you had God's approval. So then... When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and ill and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home 
so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further instructions. Andrew, thank you so much for, for reading. Good evening. It's good to see you all. Let me lead us in prayer as we, as we begin. Father, thank you so much for your word. Uh, thank you for everything you've been teaching us uh, through this, um, this book, uh, 1 Corinthians. I pray that you'd help us this evening. Uh, we pray that you'd give us attentive ears and hearts, and help us to stay awake despite the, the, warm, uh, the warm weather. And Father, we pray that your spirit would speak through me as I preach. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want us to imagine for a second that we, um, that, we, that we have the Lord's Supper tonight. We don't, but I want us to imagine for a second that we did. And imagine that after uh, we prayed for the Lord's Supper and Andrew Grimstone handed out the, the grape juice... Um, and the bread uh, to the service to be served to us, that a few of the plastic cups of grape juice fell onto the floor. I want you then to picture Andrew Grimstone getting down on all fours and lapping up the juice. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? It's quite a jolting image. But a similar thing happened uh, in a church when my mother was at Mass one day. So during communion, uh, someone spilled the wine onto the floor, which caused the priest to get down on all fours and lap it up. Unsurprisingly, it, it grabbed the attention of everyone there. My mother remembers the event very vividly, even though it happened many years ago. Now, why do I share that story with you? I share it because I think there's quite a bit of confusion around what the Lord's Supper is and what it's about. Why did that priest get down on all fours to lap up the wine? Was it because it's really good wine? Actually, it's because the Roman Catholic Church uh, believes that when they have communion, the wine becomes Jesus' actual blood. It just looks like wine. And the bread becomes Jesus' actual body. It just looks like bread. So that's what Roman, the Roman Catholic Church believes and teaches. And it's why the priest will get down on all fours to drink the wine. Leaving it, letting it go to waste would be a sacrilege. Now, as evangelicals, we don't believe in transubstantiation, do we? Uh, the view that the wine becomes Jesus' actual blood and the bread becomes Jesus' actual body. We believe that the, the wine or juice and the bread symbolize Jesus' blood and body. They, they don't become them. This is probably why you wouldn't see Andrew Grimstone getting down on all fours to lap up the spilled grape juice, unless he secretly believes in transubstantiation and we just don't know about it. Now, the Lord's Supper is is still extremely important to us as evangelicals. And we're going to see in tonight's passage why that is. I'm sure we've all wondered at some point, why exactly do we do the Lord's Supper? Why do we have that as part of our meetings? There are Christian groups who don't, who don't do it. 
Um, the Salvation Army and the Quakers are just a, a couple of examples. So what is the Lord's Supper actually about? That's the question we're thinking about this evening. And the first thing our, our passage shows us is this. It's about Christian unity. The Lord's Supper is about our unity. Now, here's why Paul has to tell the church in Corinth that the Lord's Supper is about unity. Unity is something that the church severely lacked. As we read verses 17 to 22, notice how Paul exposes their their lack of unity. So let's read from verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. Did you notice as I read those verses how the differences in the Corinthian church are playing out? So this is not the first time in the letter that we've seen division. So we'd seen it earlier on, right? And we'd seen it in terms of there were divisions um, as to who the, who, who's the best preacher. Now we see a different type of division. It's a socio-economic uh, one. And here's how this type of division is manifesting itself. So in first, in first century Corinth, you didn't have church buildings like we do today. Rather, Christians would meet in the homes of, other, um, of, of church members. And because not everyone could afford a house, and certainly not everyone could afford a house big enough to host the whole church for its meetings, these meetings would normally happen in the homes of wealthier church members. Now, so far, so good, right? We might even think, wow, how generous of the richer folk to to open their homes for the church gatherings. But that's not what Paul thinks, is it? He has a real go at the wealthier members. Why? Because these these wealthy members in the church, they happen to think that they're better or more important than the rest of the church. Now, friends, look, of course, there's nothing wrong with having wealth. There's nothing sinful or wrong about it. But there there is something wrong about having a sense of superiority and looking down on others. Did you notice in our verses how this sense of superiority is playing out? Paul says in verse 21 that people are going ahead with their own private suppers. Now the way the, the Lord's Supper worked back then was slightly different to how it does today. So instead of having uh, plates of sliced bread and small plastic cups of grape juice passed around... When the church gathered in a member's home, part of their gathering involved just eating a meal. 
And during this meal, there'd be a loaf of bread that would be broken and, and shared. And at the end of the meal, they would drink some wine together. And this was all to remember Jesus' last supper. So this is normally how they do the Lord's Supper. But there was a problem with the way the Corinthians were doing it. Let's read verse 21 again. Paul says, When you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. What was happening? The church members are all in, in the home, and the wealthier members are pigging out, even getting drunk. Imagine how, how demeaning this would, this would feel for you if you, you were less well off. So you've got the rich people in the lounge each gorging on a massive, juicy, 40-ounce fillet steak, gleefully knocking back the cups of Cabernet Sauvignon, and you're there sitting on the kitchen floor or on the bottom of the steps with your Tesco Value sausage and your Tesco Value hot dog bun and your 75 mil carton of wine. How do you feel if that's you? Embarrassed, right? You feel humiliated. Instead of feeling welcome when you're with fellow Christians, you just end up feeling rejected and unwanted. And you're reminded again of the, the class divisions between you and your hosts and their friends. This is why Paul's condemnation is so strong. So he tells the rich folks who are being obnoxious in verse 22 that they're despising the church of God. They're disdaining God's children. It's no wonder that he, he says in verse 17 that when they meet as the church, it's actually doing them more harm than good. Can you imagine me telling you, hey folks, don't bother coming to church anymore. It's, it's better off for you spiritually if you're not here. Imagine just how abysmal our church services would have to be for me to say that. The church meetings in Corinth are in such a state that Paul says in verse 20 that the Lord's Supper they're supposedly having can't even be regarded as such. What are we meant to do at the Lord's Supper? We've got to remember the new covenant that Christ has inaugurated for all his people people whom he has united spiritually through his death. But, but if when we're having the Lord's Supper, instead of being united, we're divided, what sort of Lord's Supper is that? Paul says it can only be a counterfeit one. When the Corinthian church comes together, sadly and ironically, it's not actually coming together. Their meetings are just, they're just serving to highlight the, the social divisions between, between the members. Where's the unity? Their meetings are, they're exactly like the, the non-Christian meetings going on in Corinth, where the haves and the have-nots are segregated. 
Brothers and sisters, the Lord's Supper is a time for us to remember that we've been united to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. So whenever we we have the Lord's Supper, it's it's a great opportunity for us to remember that we're all one in Jesus. And there's no one here who is more important or less important in this family. We're all equal. It doesn't matter how much money you have or how little money you have or how much or how little education you have. It doesn't matter what your background is. We are all one family and we all come to the Lord's table as those who are completely dependent on God's mercy and grace. Why do we come to the table? We all come to the table because we are those who need the bread of life in order to live. So when we think of the Lord's, when we think of the Lord's Supper and we, when we practice it, let's consider our unity and let's live out our unity. Are, are there divisions between you and other uh, church members? If so, seek reconciliation. The Lord's Supper is a picture of our, was meant to be a picture of our unity in Christ. What else is the Lord's Supper about? It's also about Jesus' death. So it's about our unity, and secondly, it's about his death. That's our second point. Let me just have a sip of water. Okay, let's read from verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks... He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Do you know what's so twisted about the way the Corinthians are practicing the Lord's Supper? It's so antithetical to what the Lord's Supper really represents. What is the Lord's Supper a reminder of? Jesus' death. So several times in this passage, Jesus' death is, is referred to. So in verse 24, Jesus says, this is my body, which is for you. The words for you uh, refer to the fact that Jesus' body was given up for us on the cross. And the reference to the blood in verse 25 is a reminder that his blood was shed on the cross for us. And then in verse 26, Paul says that every time uh, we have the Lord's Supper, we're proclaiming his death. What does that mean? How is that a proclamation of Jesus' death? The Lord's Supper is, is, is a visual proclamation of what Jesus did, of Jesus' death on the cross. So when we, when we see and eat the bread, and when we see and, and drink the wine, we are reminded of Jesus' body uh, laid down for us and of his blood shed for us. In short, 
we're reminded of his self-giving sacrifice for us. What is at the heart of the cross? It's Christ's selflessness. The, Lord, the, the Lord's Supper is to a large extent about Jesus' selflessness. Now, do we see that same selflessness in the Lord's Supper and the church in Corinth? We see the exact opposite. Instead of Christ's selflessness being on display, what is on display is human selfishness. What a tragic misrepresentation of Christ's death. The, the way they're practicing the Lord's Supper profanes what Jesus did on the cross. No wonder Paul is so angry. Friends, when we have the Lord's Supper, Christ's death should be front and center. And although his death is primarily a, a reminder of his grace towards us, it's also an example for us to follow in. We are to, to imitate Christ and to be selfless in how we relate to one another so that we might be united. So what is true of us spiritually, we're spiritually united, we would see that. Now there's another reason we, we ought to take unity in the church seriously. The Lord's Supper doesn't only have a past aspect to it, it also has a future one. So when we, when we have the Lord's Supper, we're not only to, to look back to the cross. I'm sure most of us do that. We look back to the cross, and that's a good thing. We should totally do that. But it's also, we should also look forward. We should look forward to Christ's return. I think this is why Paul says in verse 26, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus is going to return one day. And the question is, will we be ready for his return? That's the question Paul wants the Corinthians to seriously think about. It seems like he's not so sure if all of them will be ready. Some of them certainly aren't. They're not behaving as though they're actually saved. These are probably, probably those who, who do not have God's approval, as Paul says in verse 19. So friends, since Jesus is going to return, we, shouldn't, we really shouldn't treat divisions in the church lightly at all. And Jesus died for our unity. So let's not be casual about it. Jesus is coming back. It's after uh, he points to Jesus' return that Paul gives a warning. Look at what he says in verse 27. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. We've seen that the Lord's Supper is about our unity and that it's about Jesus' selfless death. Now we see that it's an opportunity to examine 
ourselves, for us to examine ourselves. That's our third point. Let's continue reading from verse 29. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and ill. And a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. Folks, I'll be honest, these verses are hard. They're not easy. Um, they can lead us to think that when we're sick, it's because of sin in our lives. But I think we need to be careful about drawing straight lines like that. We, we need to balance what he said here in other parts of the Bible and with what Jesus says, for example, in John chapter 9. So in John chapter 9, Jesus is asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What did Jesus reply? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So folks, we, we can't always assume that sin is a res- uh, that sickness is a result, a direct result of sin. It might be sometimes, but certainly not, not all the time. A lot of the time people are sick just because we live in a fallen, broken world, Right? Now, having said that, I don't, I don't want us to think that we should ignore Paul's warning. We should still take it seriously. So Paul says that sometimes God can bring about sickness because of sin as, as well, as a form of judgment. But now, this is really important. Notice what he says. He says in verse 32 that this judgment isn't vindictive or retributive. What is this judgment? It's a form of discipline. Just as a loving parent disciplines their child, why do they do that? They do that because they love them. When, G, when, when, the, when God disciplines us, it's a way of bringing us to repentance so that, as Paul puts it at the end of verse 32, we will not be finally condemned with the world. So when we have the Lord's Supper, it's a good opportunity for us to reflect on how we're living our lives. Are we sinning? Now, of course, all of us still sin. And so when we examine ourselves, when we take the Lord's Supper, of course, we'll be aware of sin in our lives. It'd be slightly worrying if, we, if we're not. If we think we're perfect. I think that's, that's a, that's a, that's, that should be a concern. But given the, the context of this partic- or the particular sin in this passage, here's what I want us to, to encourage us to, to do when we when we have um, the Lord's Supper. Think, think especially about how, the way you're, you're conducting yourself with other Christians. Is anything you're doing undermining our unity with our Christian brothers and sisters? So some of the Corinthians were being selfish instead of selfless towards their family in Christ. 
the way they participated in, in the Lord's Supper, it was a mockery of what Jesus did on the cross. This is why Paul tells the church in verse 33 that instead of eating in their green rooms, they should all be eating together as one spiritual family. Friends, who are those in the church who are least like you? Who are those with whom you have extremely little in common? Why not, why not try to pursue friendship with them? Get to know them. Your unity with them, with those who are least like you, is an extremely powerful display of the power of the cross to unite people who are very different from each other. Oftentimes, the way we tend to do church is we categorize ministries. So um, this, is, you know, this group's for the uh, younger adults, this group is for the elderly, and everything in between. And I'm not saying those things are wrong, but we want groups to, to kind of get together because they have something, a, a few things in common. Maybe they, you know, I don't know, same taste in music or whatever. But when we're united with people who are so different from us, that's, that's a testimony to, to the power of the gospel and how it unites people. Friends, Christ came to, to die on the cross not only to unite us to, to God the Father. He obviously did that. But he also came to unite us to, to one another. And I wonder if in our context today, we're more comfortable with the idea of God, God Jesus uniting us with his Father than with the one of him uniting us with one another. We live in such a consumeristic age. And so this is all about me and my relationship with God. This is all about me and my personal, private relationship with him. It's a personal, private thing. But actually, no, Christianity isn't about that. Yes, you need to have a personal faith. But it's not only about the vertical, it's also about the horizontal. So Jesus died to, to bring us into a family. And he wants us to live out our unity. Recently in 1 Corinthians, we thought about the idea of dishonoring. Um, dishonoring our head and, and dishonoring God. And I think one way in which we can dishonor God is by not taking uh, unity in the church seriously. When we do take it seriously, we are honoring him. I think that is a great thing for us as a church to continue um, to, to pursue. Let's pursue unity and thereby glorify and honor our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that uh, we've been given uh, the Lord's Supper as a visual proclamation of what Jesus achieved for us on the cross. Thank you that what he did uh, didn't only unite us to you, but it united us uh, with one another. And so, Father, we do pray that you'd help us to, if there are any um, divisions if we, if between us and, and other Christians, we pray that you'd give us the, um, the courage to approach 
um, that brother or sister and to seek reconciliation. Father, we do pray that we would take unity um, just as seriously as, as you take it. And Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.